Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production. Original music and hosted by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2020. Lone Star Gunners, welcome to the podcast. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, go ahead and chime on in comments where you are watching from. Um, we got a we got a lot of uh, really good information to talk about today. Obviously, last this past Monday, there was the big rally in Richmond, Virginia, right outside the Capitol. And uh, there was a lot going on. Uh, it, it was a spectacle, to be sure. It was something that uh, I wish I could have gone to, but I had other obligations that kept me from it. But uh, we had an individual that I met through a mutual friend who lives in Connecticut. He is a Second Amendment advocate. He is a, uh, an individual that... Uh, is very pro-liberty about a myriad of different way, a myriad of different things, but mainly his drive is the uh, restoration of our natural right to keep and bear arms. Uh, his name is J.W. Washington, but before I bring him in, I got a quick announcement to make, and that is we have endorsed two people for uh, the Texas legislature. Uh, the first is Briscoe Kane. Uh, Briscoe lives out in the Deer Park area, House District 128, and he is—he uh, has been in the legislature for uh, a couple of sessions now, and he is a fighter. He really is. He understands the parliamentary procedures. He understands uh, what needs to be done, and he is a fighter, and he uh, is somebody that we truly have respect for. He's one of uh, only a handful of people that were in Austin last session that we actually care about. Uh, and he is a good he is a good man, and so if you live out in Deer Park, make sure you support uh, Briscoe Kane for the March 3rd GOP primaries. Also, House District 25, which is Speaker Bonin's old stomping ground, until he got caught in a bribery scandal and decided that, you know what, I'm just not going to seek re-election. We're endorsing Rhonda Seth in that, uh, in that district. Uh, that race has gotten really crowded once Speaker Bonin announced that he was not seeking re-election. But Rhonda was the first person to get her skin in the game before the, that whole scandal broke. She was a fighter from the moment she entered the race, knowing that she was uh, going up against the third most powerful man in the state of Texas. And she has never held a political office before. She has never ran for political office before she is a registered nurse by trade and her whole reason for jumping into that race was because of how dennis bonin treated constitutional carry and gun rights advocates last session how he lied about chris mcnutt of texas gun rights how he continued to spread misinformation about what the bill did how he pointed poncho navarez to lead the committee that would determine the fate of the most pro-gun piece of legislation that we could offer in the state of Texas. 
That was why she got in the race. That is why she is continuing to run an awesome campaign, and we are proud to endorse her as well. Uh, so if you live in the Lake Jackson-Angleton area, make sure that you are uh, supporting Rhonda Seth. She is the real deal. That I assure you. Okay, so I'm going to bring in uh, J.W. Washington here. J.W. is a wonderful guy. Uh, the first time that I spoke with him, uh, we ended up talking on the phone for probably 45 minutes about uh, politics, philosophy, uh, gun rights, you name it. It was kind of touched on at least a little bit. Um, J.W., welcome to the podcast, sir. Hey, Derek. Good to see you again. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate of course, it. man. Uh, no, no, it's my pleasure, man. I um, I have to say, uh, JW, is, you're you're from you're from Connecticut, yes. Right. All right. Very small state. Uh, very very anti-liberty at the moment. Uh, in a myriad of different ways, but particularly whenever it comes to gun rights. Um, now I know that we're a Texas-based organization. Uh, but I'm curious, what is what is the state of Connecticut like for somebody such as yourself? Oh, in so many words, uh, you know, we have the constitutional state printed on our license plate, but we're anything but, um, you know, it, uh, it, it's so ironic that, uh, you know, Connecticut is somewhat of the cradle of where a lot of, um, you know, pro-liberty, you know, founding fathers have come and gone. And, you know, unfortunately it's, uh, Gone is definitely the word nowadays. It seems like uh, freedoms and liberty are, are a thing of the past, and uh, it's it's hard going here. And uh, you know we're we're working really hard. We're definitely outgunned, no pun intended. But uh, we do realize that if we can't stop, um, you know, the laws in states like Connecticut, um, they will spread. So that's that's our mission is to try to, you know, work with other you know gun owners and and try to make sure that we're at least doing our part and staying on top of it, even if it's a broken system for us right now. Right on. Uh, so checking out in the comments, we got uh, Thomas from the People's Republic of uh, Austin. We got Della from Tennessee, Jeffrey from Moody, Texas. Uh, we got another Jeffrey from Behind Enemy Lines in Massachusetts. Oh, my God, Jeffrey. Oh, I feel for you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also got... Um, uh, Walt in, uh, he, he tagged your page. Apparently he's, he's a friend of yours. Um, yeah, Walt, Walt's a good guy. He's with the CCDL and, uh, we're, we're the largest, uh, grassroots gun organization in Connecticut. So shout out CCDL. We're, we're doing fantastic work and, uh, you know, thanks Walt. Appreciate you. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, guys, if you have, if you guys have any questions or comments for JW, please, uh, put them in the comments and I'll re I'll relay them to them. Uh, so JW, you went to the, uh, rally in Richmond, um, yes. it, from all of the pictures and videos that I saw, uh, it looked like it was electrifying. It looked like it was all inspiring. Uh, what was it like being on the ground in there in Virginia? Yeah. Great question, Derek. Uh, for sure. I mean, it was, um, I mean, for me, I'm going to be honest, I think for me, it was a little bit different than how other people might have seen it. I, I totally thought that it was going to be a historical day and expectations were not, uh, you know, it was right on par with, with what I was thinking it, it would be uh, in a lot of ways. And the thing about it is, Derek, for me, and, and I'm sure uh, you not, not being there could uh, 
could bring testament to it. It's like, you know, when we have these things and we can't make them, you know, usually people fall into one or two categories on it. It's like they really want to go but can't. And that's understandable because of time, travel distance, you name it. But then there's the other section of people who don't want to go because they feel like it's a waste of time. And I got to tell you, once and for all, it was not a waste of time to show up in Virginia. And, you know, if you're one of those people, um, not you in particular, Derek, but if you you see one of those people out there who are just like, you know, it's a waste of time to, to go do stuff like this. I highly would recommend that people put more effort into showing up. Uh, at these sort of rallies because they do send a very clear message. And uh, I was definitely happy to, to be part of that. Absolutely. Um, uh, oh, we got Matthew in. Matthew is actually the mutual friend uh, that uh, connected JW and myself. Uh, Matt, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to see you in here, man. Um, Thanks, Matt. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this, uh, a big thank you goes to Matthew Hooks. He, uh, he hooked this whole thing up and without him that, it it would not have uh, it wouldn't have gone the way that uh, well we wouldn't have been able to to help bring real news as to what's happening down there to each and everybody we would have had to have relied on uh, second third hand sources so uh, you know that was it was important and uh, you know JW I'm, I appreciate you uh, being down there you know and helping us get all the information out it really means a lot yeah. um, so here's the thing. We get you, you live in Connecticut. It's a very heavily blue state. Uh, yeah. Virginia used to be kind of a, a red state, then went kind of purple. And now uh, now it, a lot of people say that it's pretty solid blue. And people think that, oh, that'll never happen here in Texas. I mean, we're Texas. By God, we we, we are the uh, Republic of Texas. We, we we fly our flag at the same height as the U.S. flag. Damn it, it's not going to happen here. But that is not the mentality to have. Um, If it can happen in California, which was heavily red uh, just a few decades ago. Yeah. And not to mention, Texas was heavily blue just a few decades ago. These political shifts happen. All the time. Now, there has been a push to try and, and make and turn Texas blue. Uh, now, my problem with that is that I contend that Texas is already blue. They just all happen to have ours next to their name for the most part. Uh, and that seems to be a huge issue. What would you tell Texans as it relates to their rights and, and how to be wary of their government and why they should be wary of their government and not take for granted the fact that the legislature and the governor's mansion are controlled by Republicans. Oh man, uh, that's that's a great uh, that's a great question. It, it's a powerful one too because you know, in, in my mind, I think that people are so quick to believe things like NATO is going to come and, and disarm, you know, the entire United States without even seeing a full standing army from NATO or the UN here to to do it. But they're not they're reluctant to believe that you know, something very realistic, like a, a flip of Democrats or Republicans can can happen. And, you know, I think even even worse is when you see, like like you had said, you know, a, a Republican who you think, you know, you like, you trust, and you ask him, hey, what's your stance on the Second Amendment? And they go, I support the Second Amendment. And then they turn right around and they, 
you know, they, they basically go totally against your interpretation of what the Second Amendment means. And usually that follows a line of shall not be infringed and they go and infringe on it. So I, I think that people are, are very, very quick, uh, you know, to, to believe things that, you know, are a lot more of a stretch than to believe that their political landscape will shift. And I'm telling you, it it doesn't happen. Um, it, well, at sometimes it actually really does happen overnight. I mean, we saw the New York Safe Act. So I, I lived in Catskill area of New York. Uh, we went through the New York Safe Act uh, in 2013. That literally got pushed through in the dead of night. Um, wow. So, you know, I was an EMT up there, Catskill Ambulance. Um, you know, I was doing my shift. Next morning, woke up, boom, New York Safe Act is passed. And wow. uh, overnight, uh, I, I and a lot of the people I worked with, we, we became felons. And, uh, you know, that's that was my first taste of, holy cow, this this can happen here. It's going to happen anywhere. And, um, you know, it's it's not just, you know, the Chuck Schumers and the Andrew Cuomo's of the world who are pushing this stuff. It's insidious stuff. And, uh, you know, a guy like Beto O'Rourke in Texas, um, he came up to Sandy Hook, um, which is where my cousins went to school. My cousins were in the school at Sandy Hook. So that was a 25 minute drive for me. So I saw Beto. And, uh, you know, held a sign up that said, you know, Beto wants our guns, but can't take the truth. And, uh, you know, that that's for me to see that guy from Texas in Sandy Hook. It just goes to show you that, you know, in, in the world of 2020, ideology spreads. You know, we live in a generation of smartphones and stupid people and, you know, <laughs> bad information gets from one end of the other, you know, from Texas to Connecticut. Idiots will think the same way idiots think. And. We got it's we're fighting as Americans. You know, it's not just state by state at this point. Um, it's it's pro liberty versus, you know, anti fact. That's how I see it. Right. Uh, so Mike brought up an interesting comment. Uh, he said that he was glad to see the diversity in the crowd and he thinks that it opened a lot of eyes. Uh, and, and I would agree um, because when most people think guns, gun rights, uh, they think, uh, straight old white guy, basically, uh, how diverse was the crowd there? I mean, you were there. So what was the diversity like there? Um, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I, I think we're in trouble. There was a lot of great photo ops for people to show that there was women and, you know, other people besides, you know, straight white guys, but. I would say at least, you know, 60 to 75% was, you know, guys like me and older, you know, and that, um, that's got to change. And I think we're starting to see that pendulum shift and that's really for the better because, you know, you got guys like Maj Ture out there, um, you know, the real NOC, you know, these guys who are pushing this pro-liberty, very libertarian, um, you know, version of, you know, let's educate everybody because these, these are everyone's rights. We need to do a much better job in the Second Amendment community of bringing together um, people because, you know, and Derek, you and I were talking about this on the phone. Uh, it's my experience and, and yours as well. It sounded like that a lot of us conservatives are very much like, leave us alone, leave us alone. We don't we don't want to engage people. We just want to be left alone. But we have to take that torch up and start engaging people that we usually wouldn't engage with because people have to realize that these rights are everybody's. They're not just the conservatives. They're not just for any one particular class, creed, or you know, ethnicity. They're everyone. So I think there's definitely room for improvement, um, but it was very refreshing to see 
um, you know, not just people there, but also the reaction of people online embracing the fact that there were other people there. Um, but definitely room for improvement there. Yeah. No, there, there, there does seem to be a, um, there, there seems to be kind of a, a, I guess for a lack of a better phrase, a lack of diversity whenever it comes to, uh, gun rights and, and and second amendment advocacy and that's not to say that we want diversity for the sake of diversity uh, because right. that's that's asinine but the thing is liberty is for everybody uh the right to bear arms is a natural right to, regardless of your uh race sex creed uh, sexual orientation whatever it really is for everybody you know uh i remember after the um pulse nightclub shooting uh, a lot of people were trying to do some outreach uh, to uh, the LGBT community saying, hey, guys, look, this is something that is for y'all as well. And they were always uh, also sharing a lot of articles and press that said that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people who uh, would a lot of people in the LGBT community were arming themselves and getting training. And everybody was like, yeah, this is great. But and we all agree that that's great. But. I think we do need to do a little bit more outreach and just show that we're welcome. You know, we're not going to like shame anybody or harass anybody or, or, Absolutely. Uh, or, or put them down, not cast judgment on anybody. You know, right. um, you know, uh, most people don't care if somebody else is gay. You know, most people don't care if somebody else is black or, or Asian or a woman or you name it. Most people don't care because most people understand that people are people and that's all that there is to it. But we kind of seem to we we kind of seem to isolate ourselves whenever it comes to a lot of this. And because of that, that kind of means that we have to do a little bit of outreach and, and reach into, uh, you know, reach into, a, you know, the places we typically wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll, I'll, t I'll tell you something really quickly that yeah, a lot sure. of your viewers might find interesting. So I'm hardcore, you know, Second Amendment, pro guns, pro liberty, pro um, natural rights is the word that you use. And I, I love that term because it's, it's innately everyone's right that we have these, these, um, you know, these freedoms. And, um, you know, so we're talking about the LGBTQ community and, uh, you know, how we can impact them. So, you know, my, my stepfather, um, who actually raised me, uh, who taught me how to shoot guns, uh, you know, is now identifies as, as a woman you know, and was a man uh, most of my natural life. And so, you know, for me to see that, you know, there there are people out there who are in that community who are interested in it, but just feel neglected. Um, I, I think that that's definitely, you know, an opportunity. And, and a lot of people would be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, gee, that's that's really cool. But you know what? When, when the rubber hits the road and it's it's your family member or something like that, it, uh, you know, kind of opens your eyes to, you know, wow, these these are natural rights. And you know, the only caveat to that, and I think it's an important distinction, is if somebody's just so far out there, and I mean, you see it just turn on the news, that they're so uh, mentally incapable of discerning reality uh, to, um, you know, to, to own some of these things, that then we get into a different category altogether. But I think as long as somebody's mentally sane, you know, in, in 2020's definition of the word, um, you know, these these rights do belong to everybody. And that was something I did see a couple signs for at the rally and was really refreshing. That's awesome. Uh, now, you were you were uh, you were on a bullhorn. You were you were <laughs> yelling and screaming. You were you were out there, man. 
Um, what what was the interaction like? Uh, whenever it wasn't so front and center, like, did you go up and talk to cops? Did you go up and talk to like uh, people that didn't seem to be part of the crowd? They were just, I don't know, maybe going to this particular store to get whatever, or this shop to get a slice of pizza or whatever. Did you happen to interact with anybody that wasn't part of the rally crowd? No. And that was a beautiful thing. I mean, it was that, that was one of the best things in my mind was it was just total, freedom everywhere you looked like there was you just couldn't run into somebody by accident who didn't mean to be there because it was such a large crowd uh and that that was really refreshing to me because i it was everything i hoped it would be you know we got there hours early and the crowd hadn't even hit its apex at that point but it was still like i mean it, it was it was like a metallica concert is how <laughs> i would describe it except for freedom uh, so Matt, Matt, our our good friend Matt, he brings up a he brings up a good point. He says, "Shall not be infringed." It doesn't say may be infringed or could be infringed. We must bring all Americans, and that's in caps, all Americans together under the real meanings of the Bill of Rights. Rights are misconstrued to politicians and certain uneducated people as privileges. Now, to that, and this is what I want your thoughts on, JW. To that, I would say it doesn't matter what the Second Amendment says. It doesn't matter if the Second Amendment is even there. It doesn't matter if the uh, if it if the Second Amendment actually says that only the government has the right to bear arms. Um, the the right to bear arms is inherent to us as as human beings. It is natural. Therefore, uh, the Constitution doesn't grant it. Its whole purpose in the Second Amendment is to prevent the government from infringing on something that they didn't grant to begin with. Dude, and, you just became a constitutional super saiyan. Like, you just <laughs> went from like, you are glowing constitution right now. Like, because you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Okay, well, cool. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, of course, a lot of people, they think that they, they will support, uh, they, they will say, and you, you alluded to this earlier, they support the Second Amendment. And then they follow it with a nice three-letter word that simply means everything I just said is a lie. But I support the right to bear arms. But right. I think this. And typically, it's something along the lines of, but I think that we should have background checks. But I think that if you're a convicted felon, you shouldn't have the legal authority or legal right to possess a firearm or but i think that if you uh but i think that you shouldn't be allowed to own full auto weapons or but i don't think that you should be allowed to own explosives or rocket launchers or nukes or an f-35 i support this 2a but right what is your take on that jw Oh, man. Um, all right. So, look, first off, whoever I was talking to who said that, I I would immediately just say, look, I, I can appreciate that. I mean, you could say I can appreciate that in every conversation because it, it just it takes out the idea that I'm just going to come in and bulldoze whatever they just said, because that's what I'm going to do ultimately. But I want them to let them know that I've heard them. Because I used to actually think like this in some ways, and, and I think that people are very you know quick to – um, especially in the Second Amendment community, like the second you deviate just one degree from the, the general norm, 
everybody just, you know, says, forget you. Well, I try to talk to these people and educate them. And I think that, um, you know, when somebody says I support the Second Amendment and then the butt comes in, I always try to establish, like, who am I talking to? Is this somebody who's clearly has no interpretation of what the Second Amendment means? Or do they really understand about 80 percent of it? And then they just think that background checks are the way. And that would differentiate how I handle somebody like that. But really, I think that, you know, like you said, you know, these these rights, they're not they're not governed by law. They're not governed by the Constitution. They're they're granted by a supreme power who's larger than us. And this whole framework, this whole ideology from Jefferson, Madison, Hamilton, that all of this falls together into the idea that, OK, but the second you start to infringe on a right that is inherent, it now is not a right. It's a freedom that's granted by another man over another man. And now it's not a right. So, so you, you start you know, parsing it into places where it's incompatible as a right. Now it's now it's being converted into a freedom, which means someone is willing you to to have that right if they choose to. And that's not how this works. Or as Matt put it, a privilege. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and people use the terms, you know, freedom and right interchangeably uh, nowadays. And, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, uh, the, the rights are innate. The freedoms are allowed by other other men. And, uh, you know, uh, and tyrants, of course, oppose freedom. But what they do more on, on top of that is is they really they suppress rights um, and through taking the freedom. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm going to there's a story that uh, kind of went viral uh, a few months back. It was out of Slidell, Slidell, Louisiana. Um, there was a, a, a man named Hakeem Dumas, uh, and he defended his son from being kidnapped by two men. Apparently he and his wife or girlfriend, uh, got into a really bad argument. He took his son to a friend's house. Well, she hired two guys or called two friends or something like that to come and take the child and Hakeem Dumas uh, pulled a weapon, pulled a handgun out and shot both of them. One of them died. The other was injured and uh, tried to escape. And then uh, cops ended up finding him and, and arresting him. And the wow. sheriff's, the sheriff's department said this was a justified shooting. There's no question about it. This is a justified shooting. However, comma, we need to, uh, we are arresting Mr. Dumas as well because he is violating two laws. One, he is a felon in possession of a handgun, and two, he's in, a he's in possession of a handgun with an obliterated serial number. He is facing uh, up to 20 years in prison for defending his son. Now, a lot of people said, well, he clearly was possessing a stolen gun because it didn't have a serial number. It's like, well, if the prohibition against him didn't exist... You know, he would have not had a gun with a filed off serial number. And, you know, a lot of people took that. And, and the first thing they ask is, what was his prior felony? Because as if that matters. And right. I would say that it doesn't because, I mean, it turns out that his past felony was drug related. But if he had been convicted of homicide, does he automatically then lose his right to defend his son from being kidnapped? What do you think? Um, 
All right. So look, first off, disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer, um, but, right. you know, there, there's there's a difference between I mean, so, for instance, this was a justifiable homicide. So you could look back into someone's record and say, OK, he's got a homicide record. Um, but, you know, look, I don't think there's so when it comes to, to rights, I mean, everybody has the right to, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. So to take someone else's life away, it's always a very, you know, it, it's a there's a lot of gravity to that. Right. So right. the the circumstances have to be looked at. However, in the case of, of this gentleman who I've never heard of, so this is just a hot take. This is coming right, right off the rip. But, um, you, you know, I, I think I think you bring a valid point. It, it doesn't matter. OK, if you're if you're in our society, OK, and you are, um, you know, a, a citizen participating in society, you have the right to defend yourself, period, bar none. End of story. Government has no you know right reason or rhyme to get involved. Um, so you're, you're right. The, the fact that the felony limited him from his uh, you know, self-defense by modern means, a.k.a. semi-automatic firearm, um, you know, that if he didn't have those limitations, he wouldn't have a gun with a scratch off serial number. And, you know, then he wouldn't have to go to prison. And unfortunately, that, that is the reality. So he did nothing, um, you know, that that I can see as as justifiably um, a reason to lock this man in, in a cage like like a dog. And, um, you know, unfortunately, society has allowed tyranny to exist on many different levels in many different ways. And one of the most dangerous ways we can let tyranny exist is actually on a personal scale. People are very quick to, you know, bitch about tyranny in the government uh, when it exists existentially. But they are very quick to let tyranny exist in their head by, you know, complying with these government rules and these ideologies and, and letting that tyrannical thought exist inside them and and then standing up and justifying it. Like, what do you mean? What was his prior felonies? Why did he have a gun? And I think that that's, I think that that just comes from ignorance. People just don't really know the true meaning of, of these laws and, and how they are, you know, laid out by our founding fathers and, and more importantly, where they come from. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. I hope, I hope I put a, a ball on that nicely, but no, that's my that, uh, that, that does make sense. By the way, we got Becky in here from Mississippi and, uh, Taylor brings up a, a, a nice point. He says the right to self-defense is in my opinion, the most important natural right. All animals, man or otherwise have the right to defend their lives. No one argues against the Ram's ability to use his horns against a mountain lion. And that's absolutely true. I mean, now, Obviously, if I take a if I take a firearm and I shove it in somebody's face for no reason and then I take their property or I just decide to squeeze the trigger for fun, no, I don't have the right to do that, but that's an act. You know, I, right. here here's something that that drives me up a wall. Uh so a lot of people like to like to quote the Supreme Court uh, for various things. I I'd never do unless it's to prove the point that the Supreme Court is a bunch of uh, despotic oligarchs that are unelected and unaccountable and, um, you know, they aren't transcended into a morally superior form of human being by sitting on a bench. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I digress a bit. Yeah. Uh, so the Supreme Court uh, said that there's no uh, – and this is something that's been spouted a off a lot uh, – well, you don't have the right to call yell fire in a crowded in theater. A crowded Therefore, theater. you don't have an unlimited right to free speech. You can't libel somebody. You can't slander somebody because, well, that means you don't have an unlimited right to, to speech. Right. And I would say that's absolutely wrong. 
because you do have a, an unlimited right to speak. You do have an unlimited right to say anything that you want. The, the right ends the second that you infringe on another human being's liberty. Their right to do the exact same thing you're doing. The second you infringe on that, your right has stopped. It's like I can swing my fists in the air all day, but until I hit you in the nose, you can't, you know, you can't stop me from doing that. But once I hit you in the nose, I have crossed the line. Now, the thing is, those are all specific acts. It's not the act of speaking. It's not the act of swinging your fist. When you libel somebody, when you slander somebody, you are making up a lie in public that intentionally defames and de de uh, degrades their reputation in some way. Right. You have therefore infringed on their, uh, on their rights, their liberty. When you own a uh, M2HB 50 cal machine gun, you're possessing it, uh, right? I love the M2. Uh, but whenever you whenever you own an M2, well, you're not doing anything. Okay, so you own an M1 Abrams. Okay, you're not doing anything. Okay, you're just you're possessing something. Okay, well, right. you you own an F35. Okay, you're not you're not doing anything. So to equate gun control to yelling fire in a crowded theater is not apples to apples. What is apples to apples is Libel, slander, yelling fire in a crowded theater, and shooting an unarmed innocent person in the face. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I, well, you just made something pop into my head uh, what you as, as, you're, as you're talking about all this. I think that from now on, I'm going to refer to all my firearms as rented because I'm going <laughs> to die someday, you know? So I'm just kind of renting them, you know? I'm, I, I don't own shit anymore, you know? <laughs> I'm just renting everything from here on out. So, you know, I, I wonder how they'll they'll look at that. Oh, you can't possess that. Well, maybe he was renting it. You never know. <laughs> uh, Jeff asks an interesting question. Didn't not allowing felons to possess firearms come from Jim Crow laws? And what is it? And was it and was originally racially motivated? Yes and no. It didn't yes, come from. It was. It wasn't Jim Crow, though. Um, licensing it is racially motivated. Oh, yes, absolutely. No, no, no. It, that, that, that's not an opinion. That is factual, man. Uh, so permitting, uh, the right to, or the, the licensing of carrying handguns and, and things like that, that all started with Jim Crow. Uh, in fact, if you ever read the Dred Scott v. Sanford, another reason why I don't actually cite the Supreme Court to, to like hold up my, my case because the Supreme Court is an awful organization. Uh, they said, oh no, no, we can't say that we can't grant, grant free slave citizenship because that would mean they could bear arms. Also misguided in the fact that it only applies to Americans, but, you know, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, that's an interesting concept, too. Just because there's an invisible border, you know, doesn't mean that the rights stop. Again, it's not granted by the Constitution. It's everybody. People don't right. get that. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean to disrail you, but that's a huge point. You no, know? no, you're, you're absolutely right. Just because a government across those borders doesn't recognize those rights as rights doesn't right. mean that those rights don't exist there. So if you go to Mexico, for instance, he the preaching, right he preaching. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to Mexico, for instance, and you and you can't legally, quote unquote, own a firearm, that doesn't mean you don't have the right to bear arms. It means the government doesn't recognize it. Correct. If you go to 1940s Germany, you wouldn't say that the Jews didn't have a right to life because their government decided to strip it away from them and execute them in gas chambers. 
you'd say that the government was infringing upon their natural right to life. So any other government, including our own, that doesn't fully recognize the natural right to bear arms as a natural right, it's not that you don't have that right, it's that they don't acknowledge it as such. And that's the very definition of tyranny. He testified. He testified. Oh, Somebody man, I got I got the Holy Spirit in me right now. Come to the congregation, my brother. Say it again for the back people. Tell them in the back. Tell all of them. Oh, man. Uh, so back to back to. Uh, oh, God, where where where, where was I? Uh, we, back we to Jeff's free, question. Freedom is where we were. Yeah. Back to Jeff. Uh, back to Jeff's question. Uh, the felon part came about in 1968 with the Gun Control Act. Um, now, I don't have to tell y'all about the disparities between uh, uh, the races whenever it comes to uh, the commission of crime, sentencing, all of that fun stuff. There is a disproportional amount of uh, blacks that commit, uh, or, I'm sorry, there, uh, how do I say this? Whenever it comes to the commission of crimes, there is a disproportionate amount committed by uh, people of color. That's not to sure. say that they are inherently evil. Okay, right. um, man, I'm I'm about to I'm about to get banned by Facebook again. I promise. Um, but uh, the reason, because of that fact, the Congress pushed the Gun Control Act of '68 to include felons. Because of the fact that most felons were people of color, and it's a, it's a, it's a it's an egregious racial injustice. It's it's a, it's a it's something that is just entirely wrong in this country. Uh, right. Of course, they they wanted to also save face, so they said you know di dishonorably discharged from the military, and uh, if you've ever been in a mental health institution, or uh, if you've ever if you ever beat your wife. Uh, then, you know, d domestic violence, then no. And the thing is, like, it's such an, it's so, it, it, it upsets me so much because of the fact that people still support it, not because of the racial overtones that pushed that into law, but because it still sounds good. Oh, man, I don't right. want a violent felon to be able to possess a gun. Right. It's like, that doesn't matter, you know? Right. If you give the government the authority to define who can and cannot exercise a right, it ceases to be a right and becomes a privilege. And that group that they have isolated as being unable to exercise that right, just because you're not part of it now doesn't mean that the government won't ever include you in the future. Right, right, right. As soon as you start to, to segregate out certain sections of people, you get in a very, very dicey territory. Um, and, uh, you know, that was something you and I were, were talking about, um, on our phone call, which was a great phone call. Um, but you know, we, we spent a long time talking about, so you, your point is, you know, if, if you give a violent felon a gun, so I, as a second amendment advocate, I spent a lot of my time advocating for, look, it's not the, the law abiding gun owners like you and I, who are having issues with guns It's people who should never have guns, you know, to, to begin with who are you know, either mentally, you know, un incapable of responsible firearms ownership, that I don't think can be argued. Um, there, there is a certain degree of mental culpability that a responsible gun owner has to adhere to. And then the other thing is, there are certain people who are 
um, regardless of, of their 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 right, I think their standing in society leans them to be more, you know, inept or adapt to be violent with firearms or more callous towards certain humans and, and their life and their rights. And so we were talking about, well, where's the government's position in rehabilitating these people? And, you know, once you start to take a look at our rehabilitation process in America, as far as here, we're just going to lock you in a cage and throw away the key and you better learn your lesson. Is that even an effective way of punishment? And if so, I mean, are we ready to incorporate those individuals who were, were, you know, inflicting punishment upon, are we going to incorporate them back into society? And if so, should they have all their rights? The answer is, if, if their punishment works correctly, meaning that person has reached their rehabilitation, then yes, they, sh they should get their rights back. But what do we do with people who, who don't reach rehabilitation? Or, or since the system is ineffective, what do you think we should do with those people, Derek? Because I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. So you first need to really identify is is incarceration supposed to be punitive or rehabilitative and that's an important question to ask because if it's punitive then well why have any sentencing guidelines at all once you get sentenced to prison why not just have life for everybody right. um if it's rehabilitative then that means that somebody learns from their past transgressions that they evolve and they grow and then they can be reintroduced back into society. So it's a, it's, it's an important question that needs to be asked. Now, the biggest problem with our legal system, and I refuse to call it a justice system because that implies a semblance of justice that exists. Uh, but the biggest problem is that we make everybody a felon. I mean, Martha Stewart is a felon right now. Yeah. Uh, why? Because of money. Right, because, because of money. Most people get felons, felonies because of drugs. And, you know, um, I'm going to have to shamelessly plug myself here. So I'm in the process of writing a book, everybody, in case I haven't told you enough. Um, and right now I'm working on the chapter on justice. And it's like, how do you define justice for one? And... Where should the laws be tailored towards? Well, if liberty is your ultimate goal, if liber if a society in liberty is what you are striving for, then you can't have any any law whatsoever that doesn't have a victim. You can't have any act that is illegal if it doesn't have a victim associated with it. And society can't be a victim. Okay, society is that's the, one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Um, but so. Then, then once you kind of define that, okay, all of our crimes require a victim. Well, now is it punitive or is it rehabilitative? Because if it's right. punitive, well, how do you deal with that? What is the purpose of justice? Justice is to make whole somebody who is wronged, somebody well, whose rib liberty was... Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I think I think the goal of justice, because you had asked me this question, and I had a lot of time to, to, to ponder it. And I still I'm still having trouble with it. And the reason I'm having trouble with it, I've at least been able to pin down why it's such a hard question, um, which is sometimes half the fight. But you see, it's not about making someone whole. It's it's not about that at all. It's about the perception of making someone whole, because you look at like, let's take a murder, uh, for instance, you know, they they say, well, you know, they'll gather around the microphone and say, well, ju justice was really served today. 
you know, the the criminals behind bars. Look, the victim, the victim was never made whole. It's right. just the social perception of justice has been administered. And I think that's why the context of it is, is so important. And the question is, is a great one. And so I, I even, you know, dug it a little bit deeper because I'm a Freemason, right? So, you know, we believe that, you know, there is a greater power. It doesn't matter what you call it or how you worship. But, you know, for me, when I think of, you know, the Bible is what I read, and it says, you know, only God can judge. And this this makes it so clear to me because only those who judge can truly give justice. And it's only through that perception. And what greater perception to dispense justice than divine perception? Because I clearly think in some cases, it's it's like there's some people who you're, you'll come across and they're so unreasonable that if you, you know, hit their car, they'll they'll shoot you. And now that becomes a crime in and of itself. But in their mind, they were getting justice for you backing into their brand new Mercedes Benz. You know, so people are very um, their perceptions of justice can can be wide ranging. Uh, so uh, to me, that's why it's so hard to define, because it's it's a very, uh, you know, moldable and movable landscape when it comes to what is actually true justice. And the answer is, who knows? It's um it's it's such a, a very tough thing to define because I think it the definition changes with with each case and with each person. So you know you're not wrong. Um, there is though uh, you you brought up a valid point and it, it's it was more of a misspeak for me. Justice's attempt is to make somebody whole again. Uh, if you take something like theft, it's easy to make somebody whole. Uh, you know if. They stole, stole five dollars. Here's five dollars. Yeah. Right. You're done. Right. Right. Um, and Cut and dry. If you want to put some punitive damages on that, then that's a that's a different discussion. You know, for the time and and the headache and all of that. Uh, you know, but that's a, that's an easy thing to to put a a value on. You know, but whenever as you brought up, whenever it comes to homicide, whenever it comes to murder, whenever it comes to rape, and all of these egregious crimes, you can't ever make somebody whole again. Uh, but right. you can do your best. Um, now, putting somebody in prison, I would argue that if you are entirely rooted in liberty uh, and the only crimes require a victim, then the most egregious rape, uh, you know, uh, murder, all of those types of egregious crimes that really violate somebody's liberty, uh, then yes, prison is a suitable punitive uh uh, punishment for them because of the fact that you're what is a prison a prison is effectively a complete and uh, a complete and separate society removed from the rest of society so right. it's effectively an exile and you know i think that that is something that could be uh, punitive and valid and the only variable depends on the length of exile that you are sentencing them to so whenever it comes to dealing with people that have committed egregious crimes every crime is different and therefore having these mandatory minimums or maximum penalties that's something that really should be left up to the the people hearing the facts of the case uh as to what really would make justice be served the best that it can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, 
if you're looking at a, a murder, then it's easy to to say, oh, we'll lock him up for life. But is it really that easy? Because the, the semantics around it really matter. Yeah. So if somebody commits a murder, and I hate this phrase because it really is just an excuse, but in the heat of passion, quote unquote, um, even though I hate that phrase, that is a completely different set of circumstances than somebody who plotted, planned for months to murder somebody. Right. right. Um, Different mind frames, for sure. Yeah, so if somebody was put into exile or into prison, there is a means by which I think that they should be allowed to return back to uh, society. The problem is the overwhelming majority of felons in this country are nonviolent. And that's a problem because that means no victim was ever, uh, no victim was ever present in the commission of that crime. Right. And we got statistically speaking. I mean, you know, our our government has gone so out of control that, uh, and I read a statistic that's been very well documented that the average person commits, you know, up to three felonies per day and doesn't even realize they're in commission of a felony. So you get a lot of people who say. Oh, well, that person shouldn't have a firearm because they're a felon. No, no, no. All it is is they got caught. You know, you have committed many felonies. And even if you don't want to believe the daily statistic, let's go with yearly or monthly. You know, people will commit felonies during their lifetime. No question about it. The laws are just so numerous that it's it's impossible not to uh, run afoul of our of our lawful you know, system. But it doesn't mean that these things, you know, most people I think are moral creatures, so they wouldn't, you know, purposefully, you know, do a lot of immoral things. It's just that, you know, the, the law is sometimes so wide reaching that, you know, a lot of innocent people can be swept up in the net. And then when it comes time for them to seek their rights, the government says too bad, so sad. And yeah. I think that's really the, I mean, for me, that's, really the one that I'm pulling for. You know, I, I, I feel like everybody deserves a second chance or a third chance, but it does come to a point where you have to realize, like, you know, like you said, is it, are we are we rehabilitating people or is the punishment punitive? And I think it's a little of both. But yeah. the, the definition of justice is, it, to me, it always implies there's a certain degree of imperfection because we're human. Right. No, we're, absolutely. We're imperfect creatures. Yeah. Um, no, no, you're you're absolutely right, man. Um, we got way off on a tangent because we were this supposed to talk one. about Virginia. Yeah, we were supposed <laughs> to talk about Virginia. Um, but uh, so let's get back. Let's try and get back on course with Virginia. Uh, and I'm not going to spend too much longer because we've already been live for uh, 51 minutes. So we need to. You know, people asleep out there. Are people still in the comments? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are. There are people still in the comments. Um, um, now, shortly after the rally, uh, the governor of Virginia, or I'm sorry, the Virginia Assembly uh, passed a red flag law and a couple of other things. Do uh, you th one one handgun per month? Uh, yeah, yeah, red flag law. Bunch of bunch of stupid stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that the rally was a waste of time? No. No. Okay. Uh, why? Do you think so? I'm. I'm gonna. Uh, I. I do not. I agree with you, but I want to. I'm curious as to why you think that it was not. Um. Well, I'll tell you what. 
yes, they 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 railroaded the um, the proposals through, and you know they're they're well on their way to actually becoming law. Um, but here's why I don't think it was a waste of time. Um, history has a funny way of working, right? So when you're in the moment, when you're in the moment where history is being made, it's very difficult to anticipate the outcome. Because we, we had eight hours drive to talk about this. Hey, do you think this is going to be a waste of time? And I said, no. And they said, well, you know, what makes you think that? And I said, look, it's always very difficult to, to anticipate what's going to happen. But you always have to think of perception, okay? The way that this is going to be looked at 20, 30, 40, even two, three years from now, it's we have to do our best to play in what is absolutely a broken system. And historical context to that is if you look at the story of Marvin Hiermeyer, Marvin did everything he possibly could. I'll just give you a real quick synopsis. But the man owned a muffler business. The town said that, you know, you got to shut your business down. They essentially ruled his, um, you know, his entrance and exit as, you know, the land for a concrete facility. They took the entrance to his shop away, ruined this guy financially, and he did everything he could. He went to town halls. He wrote his legislation. He did everything he could to try to fight against the broken system until it got pushed too far and he knew that there was no coming back from it. And we're not there yet. We're not there yet in the second amendment fight. People feel like we are because we're in a generation where people think that our government works like Amazon prime, where you put your order in and two days, it shows up <laughs> at the front door. Our government's not Amazon prime. Okay. We've been fighting in its current iteration of gun control. We've been fighting it since the sixties and we've been winning for the last, you know, I don't know, 40 years, but, the thing is, we haven't gotten to the point where push has really come to shove. It's just that the the meter is starting to flow into their favor instead of into ours. And now the real fight is actually starting. That's only for the last uh, 10 years or so. And so, you know, when people are sick and tired of fighting, that's how you know you need to still keep going because that's how you know the real fight's actually just getting started. You look at how the Boston Massacre started it was the perception of the Boston massacre that started to actually change people's minds. It's the Lavoie Finicums of the world that are going to start to change people's minds. And if you look, I mean, Ammon Bundy won his case, you know, Lavoie Finicum died awful, awful situation, but the perception of how that went down, I mean, there's no denying the FBI was wrong. Just yeah. like there's no denying Waco was, was an atrocity by the yeah. FBI Ruby Ridge, same thing. But in the moment, Oh, my God, people were, you know, out there going crazy against, you know, think of Waco. They were a bunch of crazies. I mean, I, I kind of grew up, you know, I was very, very young, but I can remember my father talking about it. And, you know, the, 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 the conception was that they were in Waco. They were a bunch of religious zealots. The conception in Ruby Ridge was this guy was a right wing extremist. They're doing the same stuff, but it's all about how it gets perceived 20, 30 years from now. And if we do our best to be like Marvin and play in the broken system. When history comes full circle, they'll see that we were right. And we might even win, you know, even, even if we lose win or draw, we have to do it the correct way. Because remember, even our founding fathers could have been looked at as terrorists. Oh, it's yeah. just the fact that they won the fight, but we have to play smart and we have to do things like Virginia and show our voice and not be afraid and not make excuses you know, sorry, I've got a dog petting competition I have to go to. I'm not going to make a rally. 
you know, there's there's some people, like I said, financially distance, time, work. I get it. There's always going to be something. But when it's in your hometown, you better make sure you're there. And I'm sure you will, Derek. I know yeah. I know you're going to be the first guy out there. And you've even put on some, some of this stuff, which I think, you know, that's a huge, um, you know, a great thing for, for your area, the fact that you're out there advocating so hard. But for those of you who aren't Derek who are listening to this and who hear these same tired excuses come up in their friends or at their shooting ranges, you have to remind people, look, we all get the same 24 hours in a day. It's all how we allocate it. And Absolutely. We, we, we better start making this, the Second Amendment and our natural rights higher and higher on that list or we'll lose them. Yeah. And here I thought I was going to get through an entire show without the mention of Waco or Ruby Ridge because those are like, those are like my buttons. <laughs> so thanks, I appreciate it. Uh, no, I know, I know. Um, but uh, no, you're absolutely right. And and guys, listen up for everybody that is here in Texas. Um, I know that we do have a lot of listeners outside of Texas, but everybody here in Texas, guys, there is a gun control push right now by a Republican. By the arguably the most powerful man in Texas, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, you know he has been pushing uh, universal background checks since uh, Midland, Odessa, and his whole thing is that we should not be having stranger to stranger sales. And I'll tell you guys, if he wants that, and we do nothing, he will get that. And that will become law here in Texas. Now, uh, I know that there's a, a lot of uh, I know that there's a lot of uh, concern as to what we can do about this. Well, unfortunately, he's not up for re-election until 2022, and the next legislative session is 2021. We have a postcard campaign going on right now for five dollars. Uh, we've we've got uh, we've got over a thousand of these printed up. For $5, we'll sign your name to it, and we're going to mail all of them at the same time to his office. Because that is going to be the beginning of sending him a crystal clear message. What happened in Richmond needs to happen everywhere. Uh, but here in Texas, we need, to, we need to send him a very crystal clear message now. And then once session goes then we can start getting boots on the ground. But we need to let him know that he is uh, on the wrong track and he is pushing something that we will not tolerate. Uh, keep in mind, we still don't have constitutional carry in this state, guys. He is the president of the Senate. He is the senior most person in the Senate, and he decides what pieces of legislation move forward. If we get a, a vote in the House, he could kill it in the Senate. We need to tell him that will not be tolerated. So there's a link in the show notes to have us send him a postcard on your behalf. Um, and I will post up pictures as soon as I mail all of them out. Um, thinking the end of February uh, is when I will do that. Um, anyway, that's how it starts, guys. That's yeah, how it starts. and also one more quick point. I mean, I'm, I'm 29 years old, so I, I was alive when the Clinton's assault weapons ban was in full swing. And guys... In our lifetimes, we can remember being not being able to go to the store and buy a brand new AR-15 off the shelf. Everything was pre-banned, but it there was that weird gray area where you just saw pretty much brand new rifles, 93, 94, 95. They just got more expensive, but there was plenty of them out there. Well, you know, the when when the assault weapons ban sunsetted and all of that stuff got lifted, I mean, look, Texas was affected by that. 
if it could happen on a federal level, you'd be crazy to think it won't happen on the state level. They're pushing harder now than ever to get it to come to where people think they were safe before, state by state. It's, yeah. it's going to happen. And it, it has happened federally in our lifetime. So don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, anyway, you know, JW, I, I could seriously, we could continue this conversation for another hour if we wanted to, but uh, uh, I think we should wrap things up. But uh, before we do that, I want to give you the floor. If there's anything that you want to say, uh, you got you got your own social media page, right? I do. Yeah, you guys can go check me out um, at JW, Second Amendment Advocate on Facebook. Uh, also, JW2A um, on Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, anywhere you see people trying to fight for their rights, uh, hopefully you'll find me. I try to prioritize all this stuff pretty heavily. So glad to have you guys following the page. And uh, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. If you ever want to come on again, all you got to do is let me know, man. I, uh, I appreciate you being here very much. You got it. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Uh, Jefferson's my spirit animal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, guys, that is going to do it for me. Uh, JW, thank you again for, for being here. Again, guys, make sure you check out that postcard campaign. It's really important. Also, if you live in House District 128, vote for Briscoe Kane for the GOP primaries. If you live in House District 25, support Rhonda Seth. She is going to do uh, a lot of wonderful things, even as a freshman. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I know it's next Sunday is the Super Bowl, but I'm going to be here. I hope to see you then. So on next Sunday, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Bye.